Hello, and welcome to the Milestone Podcast, a home for positive fan culture, and here to talk about all things nerdy. I'm your co-host, Henry. I'm your other co-host, Matthew. And this week on the show, we will be discussing our favourite action scenes. Uh, <laughs> from across cinema, <laughs> uh, the whole thing in a in a one hour podcast. <laughs> um, but before that, yeah, so you know that we do have a, a, a podcast Instagram account thingy. That's what we call it. Yep, <laughs> a mm-hmm. podcast Instagram thingy uh, at Marvel right Cinema. <laughs> at Marvelous Cinema Podcast, uh, where we do rankings, reviews, all sorts, uh, just about general either films that have already came out or films that are coming out right now. Um, very much look forward to Avatar, which is coming soon. Uh, and features in the news. Is it? Oh. It's in the news. Don't say it's been pushed Spoiler. back again. <laughs> yeah, it's been pushed back to uh, to December ah. next year. Oh. <laughs> no, it hasn't. It hasn't. That's not the news. Okay. Um, but yeah. Oh yeah, and also we're doing yeah we're doing the news now before we do the news. It sounds like we're doing like an actual like <laughs> we're doing the news. We're doing the actual news. Um, but over you know. to Clive Myrie in the <laughs> studio. <laughs> yeah, we're doing um, yeah movie news. Um, and in case you're not up to date on the format of this, because of my recent social media uh, uh, cancel ban, I don't know. Not I haven't been cancelled. I mean, I've been like I've just sort of I've just sort of. I just sort of stop, stop having it. Um, so I don't know too much about what's going on in the world. And Matthew, when he gives me the news, I, it's kind of a live reaction, I guess, because I don't really know what's mm-hmm. going on. Um, so yeah, do you want to get started with the news? Or I don't know, there's any subjects on the news that you want to start with? Mm-hmm. Well, well since, since I've teased it, we'll go with Avatar, shall we? Yeah, okay. Um, so last week, um, there was news about the budget of, for um, F10 or F, F, F10, F, Fast and Furious 10, mm-hmm. and how it was a bit of a, a bit of a chunky one. Yeah. Um, according to The Hollywood Reporter, Avatar The Way of Water had a production budget of 350 to 400 million. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. That's big. <laughs> that is a big one. I can't remember the last time I even heard of you having a pie of a budget. Mm, yeah. It, um, wow. It kind of follows news that James Cameron, I don't know if it was kind of as a bit of a, a bit of a hyperbole, but he did say that it would have to make two billion to break even. Two billion? Which might not, based on this budget, isn't yeah. necessarily true. Yeah. Uh, it'd be more like one billion. Just yeah. one billion. <laughs> just one billion, yeah. Um, but yeah, that is a sizable budget. Yeah. I think it'll... I think just because it's Avatar and it's been 10 years, I think it will, you know, get its money back. Because, um, yeah, obviously the whole thing is you double the budget and that's probably what the actual budget is because of marketing yeah. and all that. So if it gets yeah. one billion, it is getting more than it, you know, more than it was actually cost to make, but... Yeah. I can't imagine the studio's happy with spending that much money and getting a few hundred million compared to, like, a billion. Because <laughs> that's all yeah. they're really getting in profits there. Um, yeah, it's... Um, the ball's in James Cameron's uh, court now. <laughs> See if he can prove that worthy. Um, and then he's making, like, four more. <laughs> yeah, just four more. Casually four more. Jesus um, Christ. Although he has said that if this one isn't a success, they'll have to wrap it up after three, I think. Right. Um, 
Okay, I mean, if this does fail, I think he's quite lucky to get the third. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, do you think it'll make money? Um, I think it'll, I think it'll exceed expectations. I do think that. Mm. Um, I just think it's Avatar. It last time Avatar came out, everyone said it's going to be a huge bomb, and then it came out, and everyone loved it, and it made a lot of money. Um, yeah. So it's kind of a reoccurring James Cameron thing where no one will see it. It looks ridiculous or whatever, or it's too much <laughs> money. And then people see it and everyone, you know. I think I remember when Avatar came out, I remember its budget slash like, box office being on the actual news. Um, mm-hmm. Which is how I knew it was big. Because <laughs> like, if the news, the actual ITV news at 6 o'clock at night is going let's take a moment to talk about this movie. <laughs> um, then I know it's kind of important. Um, and I was like nine years old, I guess, at that point. Wow. Um, yeah, so I think... I don't know. Um, it's it's a gamble. <laughs> it is a huge gamble. <laughs> I hope it pays off. And especially coming after uh, kind of reports that Disney have had to change their CEO because they're not doing too well. Or, you know, not doing too well by Disney standards. Yeah. <laughs> Because they're still running, which is more than more than a lot of production companies can say after the pandemic. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, uh, elsewhere with under the Disney banner, uh, we've got some more admin type news. Um, <laughs> there had been talk before Black Panther: Wakanda Forever's release about a possible spin-off for Namor. However, it has emerged that Disney cannot release a standalone name or film or series since the characters' rights are currently owned by Universal. Although producer Nate Moore has said, and I quote, he can return. <laughs> so yeah, right. I'm thinking it is, it is like a Hulk situation. Yeah, he's going to be an ensemble. I guess, well I suppose knowing this they probably didn't have big plans for a spin-off. Because mm-hmm. I feel like this is something you know. Mm. Yeah. Before you make the film, <laughs> but it is a bit of a curveball that nobody else really knew, and it's only really coming to the surface now. Mm. Um, because Namor has proved quite popular, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, I think so. As, yeah. as have behind-the-scenes photos of of uh, the actor Tenoch Huerta, mm-hmm. um, like his the behind-the-scenes picture, uh, and they had to um, they had to CGI his, his bottom half because he uh, he had quite a bulge. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that a thing? I don't know that. Apparently that's a thing. You can Google it. It's Marvel's uh, Superman moustache. Mm, yeah. I mean, for that, for, that, for that actor, you know, there's worse stories out in the world about an actor. Oh, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. yeah, it is um, a bit viral, but yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a funny photograph. <laughs> So yeah, popularity surged, mm-hmm. um, and maybe I, I'm assuming we'll see him again. I don't. I think it will be. Um, he'll be an ensemble ensemble cast sort of thing. Yeah, an um, Illuminati type thing, I imagine. Yeah, so I think he's part of the Illuminati in the comics. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. I see him a lot in that sort of lineup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that picture they always use. Yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's always in that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, elsewhere for Marvel kind of behind the scenes uh, Mahershala Ali's Blade film is back on track there is a new creative team working with Ali 
Marvel reportedly opted not to just hire a new director to replace Basim Tariq after he left. Instead, they're going for a complete overhaul with a page one rewrite. Mm. The new director that they've hired is Ian Demange, who directed the pilot to HBO's ambitious Lovecraft County, mm. uh, or Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country, mm-hmm. and Michael uh, Starbury, who was Emmy-nominated for an episode of the drama series When They See Us, has joined as screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Ali is still attached and was apparently personally involved in selecting the writer. Mm-hmm. Production is set to begin in Atlanta in 2023 with the original release date of September 6th, 2024 maintained. This all comes via The Hollywood Reporter. Mm-hmm. It's back. Blade's back. Blade's back. Blade's always... I feel like Blade's always been a bit of a, a tough spot <laughs> for quite a while now. Yeah, so I guess I, I'm just happy to hear that as a film eventually getting made <laughs> yeah it's back on track and there has obviously been a bit of fuss about the whole R-rated thing is it going to be R-rated is it not mm. um, I think that's yet to be determined but you know the kind of if you're looking at the, these two creatives they have brought on board it kind of does maybe lean towards it being darker not saying it would be R-rated but maybe darker mm. we'll see how many time will tell yeah, I hope so I think it's I just think well, I think with World by Night, that sort of thing, uh, which I yeah. think was R-rated, yeah? Um, yeah, it was I think, TVMA, I think. Yeah, I think they're probably allowed to go there now a bit more, especially with Deadpool, where I don't think they can get away with it, <laughs> really. So, yeah, that's that. Um, there, are, there is more MCU news. We've got quite a bit of MCU news. MCU news this week. Read of the week. Oh, it's back. It's back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe not specifically about Reed, but it is F4 related. Okay, yeah. so we're counting it. It's part of the Reed of the Week segment. Mm-hmm. It involves Reed. So Insider Daniel RPK tweeted the following. This is uh, some inside knowledge from the production of the Fantastic Four film. <laughs> so, and I'm quoting this now. Marvel Studios' upcoming Fantastic Four will be set in the past 60s. There will be a team out of time. Neither Kang nor a Doom is the villain. Kang will be in the movie, but he's there to connect the group to the two Avengers movies. It's not entirely an origin story, but we'll see. End quote. <laughs> right. Okay. So, uh, I think that it's... An, I think it's a pretty good idea to not frame entirely as an origin story. I think going into this, it's a kind of similar situation to Homecoming in that we've seen this origin before. Yeah. Uh, I guess there are perhaps more question marks over the Fantastic Four because there have been variations in how it's been depicted. Yeah, it's not quite as straightforward as in being bitten by a spider. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, it's the same kind of they go on some kind of expedition and get powers. Mm-hmm. It just tends to be the location that changes. Yeah, it's the negative zone. It's Mars. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. It changes sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's just space. Yeah, sometimes it's just a, a cosmic flare, I think it is sometimes. Yeah, I think, I think that's what it was in the first one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, this is a bit oh, like a tangent, kind of, but I, I always love the... the uh, I think they tried to go... In the movie, they tried to go for... They all have got different elements. Um, so, like, Reed Richards is, like, water, because he's, like, I don't know, fluid and bendy or whatever. <laughs> and I also really enjoyed that. They, they went for... Doctor Doom is, is metal because he was in the in a shielded dorm when it, the cosmic flare happened. And they all just thought, like, why? Why are you doing this? <laughs> like, we're fine with, like, they got different powers because 
science. Like, <laughs> you don't need to, like, do this whole, like, elemental thing. Um, yeah, I thought it was just quite funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, remains to be seen whether they took that approach with this one. Mm. Never know. Uh, you know, you never know. Um, but, yeah, this is kind of the first details we've got about the plot, if yeah. it's true. But it's, a, it's from a reliable insider, so might be true. It's a good mm. chance. Yeah, slight chance. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that's that's really the week for this week. Uh, last bit of Marvel news is back to Chris Hemsworth. I think this might be the same interview I talked about last week, but he has vocalised his desire for a reinvention of Thor mm. should he be invited to return to the character. He said, and I quote, Again, I don't know if I'm even invited back, but if I was, I think it would have to be a drastically different version in tone, everything just for my own sanity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I feel like I could. I got a sense, um, but maybe I just couldn't tell. Whilst I kind of projected my own opinion about the latest film onto him, maybe. Yeah. But I did get a sense from his interviews that he was a bit uh, bored again with the character and his new take. Like, because I think uh, Ragnarok was a great like soft reboot almost kind of thing, yeah. um, and very well kind of taken on board over the next few films with the Russo brothers. But I think I think you agree too that uh, the, the the love and thunder was like it's just a a bit too much <laughs> of that mm. sort of he's an idiot sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of felt bad for him in that film because I, I knew that he I could I, I can only imagine he wanted to do more of the character than just the same jokes or more jokes now. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that if he gets some sort of last um, entry, mm. I'm sure Taika Waititi will have some sort of influence on it but I would like a new voice to be like the final entry is going to be a mm. bit more not harkening back to like Kenneth Branagh but just a bit just, just a different tone again for the character would be great. Yeah I think I think in the interview he specifically references like Infinity War and Endgame mm. uh, which I think is probably a good place to pitch it. It's not quite the Kenneth Branagh Shakespearean type Thor mm-hmm. but it's also not the other end of the spectrum with it being perhaps a bit too comedy based yeah yeah um especially infinity war i think that's a good place for him to be there's mm. that kind of dynamic he has with the guardians where you know there are elements of comedy you can introduce yeah but for the most part it's pretty he's a pretty serious character in that film yeah and he has i feel like love and thunder has moments of it but it's kind of brushed aside but i feel like even infinity war which is like a, a full film of characters there's still that great scene with uh, before and uh, Rocket Raccoon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on the on that spaceship, and it's like I feel like that's a good mix. Yeah, I think because mm. is kind of like I think he knows what the character needs, and it is like this sort of weird half weird Watiti, half weird <laughs> uh, <laughs> like an actual like serious character. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I hope he gets that like final chapter. That's like an actual final chapter. If that makes sense. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking the same as well. Um, last bit of Disney-related news uh, comes from Lucasfilm. And this is a bit of a tentative one, um, but there seems to be a little bit of credibility about this. Uh, it's a story we've heard a lot from a certain group of people on the internet, but it seems like maybe there are, there are news coming from less radical places on the internet. Mm. And it's uh, There are fresh rumours surrounding the future of Kathleen Kennedy. Oh, right. Um, John Campier has claimed two separate sources have suggested to him that she could be removed as soon as June uh, from her position as the president of Lucasfilm. Mm. 
either just before or just after the release of Indiana Jones 5. Campier has previously maintained that she would see out the rest of her current contract, which expires in 2025. Uh, Returning Disney CEO Bob Iger has previously been an ally of Kennedy, so it would be a surprise if she was part of the Disney recovery kind of casualties. Yeah. Campea's sources have suggested the decision has already been made, but uh, the journalist cannot 100% guarantee this as a fact, but one of the sources has a very reliable track record. Mm. Um, this is kind of a pinch of salt story, yeah. but I wouldn't necessarily be reporting it unless, you know, this, this, this time around there is a bit of weight to it, perhaps. Yeah, so yeah, this is definitely, uh, unfortunately, for whatever reason... Uh, Kathleen Kennedy is very much a, a figure of um, how to put it um, divisive. Divisive, sure. Yeah, that's the word, I guess. Uh, <laughs> with certain people uh, who uh, don't like a certain type of person. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that's the way. I feel it. like we've navigated that well. Yeah, mm, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I. I, I don't know how I feel about that, actually, because um, on the one hand, I feel like Kathleen Kennedy's done a lot of great things for mm. uh, Lucasfilm. Um, I think for both of us, this sequel trilogy is pretty, for the most part, pretty great. Um, TV shows, whilst a bit up and down, I would say that, and especially recently has been particularly great. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I do kind of, well, for the past, yeah, since Disney took over Star Wars, and I guess by that extent, sort of Kathleen Kennedy... We've been in the same sort of news cycle for a long time now of being yeah. like, they're making a film, but who knows? Because <laughs> a film will get cancelled a month in or six months in or whatever. Um, and it, yeah, I would, I want, I would like to have a a new. Uh, I wouldn't mind a new sort of fresh voice who might have a bit more of a plan. I guess mm. um, that would be nice to see because I feel like I I want new Star Wars that isn't just. Rumors, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it's sad that she's endured a lot of what she's endured as president. Because I agree that she's done some really great things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, she's helped bring about the sequel trilogy, which you know I I, I adore those films and TV series like Mandalorian and, and Andor. Um, and she's done. She's been behind a lot of great projects for Disney, um, Disney Star Wars. Uh, but she has always been marred by the certain selection of the of the fan base who have pinned a lot of their frustrations on her. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't think she she's got exactly the clean image. Like you say, she doesn't have the best track record with hiring people and st- sticking mm. sticking with projects. Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily inspire like, stability, which I guess is what Disney are wanting now. Mm-hmm. At the moment, yeah, they want that stability and a bit of reliability. Um, so maybe, maybe it is going to happen. I don't know. Mm. Um, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that they gave her a new contract. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I guess we'll see how it pans out. I suppose one of the other questions is who do they replace her with? Because, yeah. in all honesty, she is one of the kind of the leading producers in Hollywood. Yeah, um, she's been around for a while too. Like she, she knows her stuff. Yeah, definitely. You know, she was she was there for the original Indiana Jones films. She's worked yeah. with Spielberg and George Lucas for a long time, and it was an absolute no-brainer to, you know, to have her take over Lucasfilm. <coughs> yeah, 
and it does kind of leave questions about about who would who would take over next. I mean, we've seen DC take the approach of hiring a creative alongside a more business orientated producer, mm-hmm. um, but it you know it's not exactly a tried and tested method. Yeah, they've only just been appointed, and we don't really know if they're going to have great success. You know, a lot of the dodgy rumors that have reported Kathleen Kennedy going. I've always said they want like Dave Filoni to take over, which isn't necessarily a viable option because, you know, Dave Dave Filoni and, and John Favreau are more creative people. They're not necessarily the business types that it would take to run a studio. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess one of the obvious kind of questions is Kevin Feige. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, especially at the moment, I really don't think he'd leave Marvel. No, I think yeah, I think he's very much in the middle of sorting out. Uh, what where Marvel's going now? <laughs> yeah, I feel like the le- next time he's going to be free to do something else is by the time uh, Secret Wars is over. I feel like that's mm. when he's like a bit more free and might leave at that point. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, again, I know I've said it a couple of times, but you know, take that last bit with a pinch of salt. Yeah, yeah. Um, moving away from Disney now, got a bit of DC news. Oh, a bit of DC. Uh, James Gunn has confirmed a few things about the future of his DC Universe. It will be connected across film and television, and has specified that animated projects will also be a part of his ongoing canon, as will video games. A bit like what Star Wars have going on at the moment. Mm. They, they, are, they are animated series and games that are very much canon. Yeah. Um, it's nice to have that kind of broad spectrum of things that could be part of his universe. Yeah. Difficult to manage, but yeah. it's interesting. Hmm. I yeah, I never really thought of this franchise going um like more than just T V and movies. <laughs> it's mm. kind of weird to think of that it might go that far, but I guess it makes sense, yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, we'll see. Um elsewhere with kind of universe building in DC. The Matt Reeves produced Batman spin off The Penguin is set to film in New York from January to August. Mm. I don't know if we've reported this before, but Lauren LeFranc will be the lead writer and showrunner. Her previous credits include the Zachary Levy series Chuck and Marvel's uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh-huh. This report is from the Illuminati. Alright, okay. Um, so, news on that. There was a bit of a, there was a bit of absence of news <coughs> to do with these spin-offs. But a couple of weeks ago we got a bit on the Arkham series and now we've got some, got some Penguin news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just think it's so fun that we're getting, like... I, I rewatched during Halloween because it was Halloween, and you can't not watch a Batman on Halloween now. Um, mm-hmm. um, and I just, it's, it's just so nice and fun that we're getting like a Batman universe that's just a Batman. Un- I don't want to put it like it's just a Batman universe, and it's yeah. Matt Reeves' total vision of it. And I feel like he's totally committed to living in that world for like the next five, ten years. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just so excited for that. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. It's. It's an opportunity that just feels it feels really strange that we're getting it, mm. um, but it also does feel kind of apt that we do have this DC universe going on, and then Batman has his own universe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel Batman, like if of course it, he does. <laughs> yeah, if if any hero is going to hold that up, it's maybe Batman mm. or Spider Man, but we don't want to talk about Sony. So, I had to call it again the Sony. Uh, just you... don't remind me. I don't uh, yeah. want to think about it. <laughs> Um, so to uh, to round off the news I've got three little short bits of news um, we have details and images have been re- have released regarding the Luther film 
Uh, I forgot this was happening. Idris Elba is returning in one, Im- in, in one image that's been released. He's traversing a snowy mountaintop in nothing more than his signature suit and wool jacket. <laughs> um, the film will release on uh, on Netflix in March. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of kind of British TV, uh, British TV royalty Waterloo Road will return in the form of a revival series on January the seventh on the BBC. Oh, <laughs> and finally, Antonio Banderas believes that Tom Holland could lead a Zorro reboot. Tom Holland. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know about that one, Antonio. Uh, <laughs> um, did you? Um, I suppose you wouldn't have. I'll try and share it with you later. But, um, I think it was on Twitter. There was like some really strange rumor. It was it it, it was completely false. But someone said that um, Netflix were doing like a Link series or a Link in the, in the video games. Yeah, Legend of Legend of Zelda is it? Yeah. Um, like a it's film or TV project on Netflix, and this kind of re- fake report said that Tom Holland had been cast uh-huh. as Link, and kind of the internet kind of partially exploded, <laughs> <laughs> and then the net, the Netflix themselves or whatever, they released a post where they said, uh, they said we're going to do uh, a Legend of Zelda series where every character will be played by Tom Holland, <laughs> and they got a load of like fan art pictures of uh, Tom Holland edited in as every character <laughs> and then it, they ended the message by saying something like suck it nerds suck it nerds we're <laughs> <laughs> trying to quickly find it um, it's quite down the hip with the kids isn't it <laughs> suck it nerds <laughs> yeah Tim Holland Tom Holland can be I feel like Tom Holland is almost casted as everything that can be going at the moment hmm yeah, but, it is. And I feel like the Nathan Drake thing is the perfect example of that. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> uh, yeah, he seems to just be the go-to person for people that age. Um, so that is the news for this week. Oh, okay, cool. Um, not too much news this week, not too much. No, no, that much. there wasn't as much. I managed to remember and keep track of all my news this week. Mm-hmm. Didn't lose it like last week, I can't flip Muppet. <laughs> You got it all. You got the full list. Cool. We're getting better. We are professional. <laughs> Finally, we can be under that headache in Spotify playlists. Professional. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> I guess going from that, then to, yeah, this week's big sort of subject is the subject of um, action scenes uh, or mm-hmm. action sequences. I guess. In, yeah. And I guess our favorite ones. Um, is these can range from big blockbuster like you know battles on a big field or you know smaller sort of hand-to-hand whatever it might be or whatever mm-hmm. um and yeah let us know if you've got any favorite yourself uh let us know in yes, the comments please. below uh, get in touch and we'll let, let you know our opinions too um but yeah do you want to go first with your uh one of your favorites um, um so i've kind of i've tried to go outside the box with these Mm-hmm. It's always a mistake with me. <laughs> you never know where you're going to end up. <laughs> but I'm I'm going to open with Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm. Um, mainly because I feel like as we kind of move forward, the original glory of the first trilogy of Pirates films, I feel like they've kind of been forgotten. Yeah. Which is a shame, because yeah. they shouldn't be. And I think there's a lot of kind of action sequences to choose from. There's 
there's the marriage, there's the maelstrom. The maelstrom was nearly the one I went for, by the way. Yeah, I assumed it was going to be that one, honestly. <laughs> um, the the wheel in number two, another one I nearly went for. Yeah. The island escape. However, yep. the one I have gone for, mainly because it kind of sums up in its kind of simplest form what makes many of the action sequences in the Pirates franchise good, and that is Jack versus Will in the workshop in the first one. Ah, okay, yeah. Um, primarily because of just how playful and how well used <coughs> an environment is. Mm, yeah. It, you know, the, the previous scene in the film that kind of sets things up, the geography of the, of the, the environment. Mm-hmm. And I think there, there aren't many kind of films that manage to just capture kind of fluidity and just a whole package of an action sequence with kind of comedy, more serious action, and just generally well choreographed sequences. Mm. And it is a sequence I never fail to enjoy immensely. <laughs> uh, many, you know, there are many. Like I said, there are many scenes within this franchise that are the case. But I think this one just part of the original. I think mm-hmm. it's you know it's, as well. It's this idea of enemies become friends by the end of the franchise. These two are these two are great mates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but here yeah, they're having a bit of a scrap. Um, and it's just well thought out and well planned. Mm. It's perhaps more simplistic to some compared to some of the ones I've got elsewhere on this list. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I just I just enjoy it so much, and it's very much the heart of a of a film that is at the heart of a franchise. Yeah, it, um, it's pure entertainment value. Yeah, and I, yeah, I think as well that uh, scene in particular. Whenever I'm watching that film. I always think back to imagine it's your first time watching these these films, yeah. and just like I feel like that entire sequence kind of sums the whole tone of the whole films like up, because yeah. um, you kind of start with this somewhat realistic kind of uh, uh, sword duel where it's kind of uh, they're talking about like footwork and mm. sort of like doing these circles and they're doing these like blockings and parries and all this sort of thing. And they're like literally discussing like how well do you know how to use that sword, and it's all quite like realistic in a in a sense as it can be, and I think it's kind of uh, a great way to introduce this series and its mechanics to be like it's it's got an edge to it and it's realistic and people you know can get harmed, but then at the same time, if we like pump the music up a bit and have like some <laughs> sort of a bit of physics de- uh, physics defying uh, action. We're going to do that as well, um, and I think yeah, that sequence goes from quite uh, restrained to extremely not restrained in about yeah. five minutes' time, <laughs> and it does it really well. Yeah, um, yeah. I think if if you wanted to sum up Pirates of the Caribbean to anyone who hasn't seen them, mm. that's one of the scenes you go to. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, I think yeah, as well. When I think about that sequence, is um, it also has a lot of. Uh, Setups in it as well with, mm. like, with the characters. They explain a lot of their backstory whilst doing that. Um, so like doing these whole like backstory hints that um, want you to know more about the characters, but at the same time, it's not like they're just standing around and, and talking. They're having a duel, <laughs> um, yeah. and then you have the setup of the whole uh, Will Turner and is like that weird trick he does where he can he can throw a sword into a wall and it can't come out of the wall. Let's <laughs> um, <laughs> go back later. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's yeah, there's a lot in that sequence that I think is 
it takes a lot of pre-planning and knowing what you're going for with, with a film to have that sort of sequence. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's a kind of sequence that has that level of planning, yeah. but just makes it look easy. Yeah, it makes and, you think, oh, I can do something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And when you think about any scene in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, that those first three, mm-hmm. and you think about an action sequence, it sort of is that first sequence, mm. but just bigger usually as it goes along. Um, when you think about the wheel fight, for example, yeah. it starts out quite more more bombastic, but quite like an actual sword duel between people who hate slash love each other <laughs> and might kill each other. And then as soon as the, that scene keeps on going, it kind of ramps up to this entirely almost un, like completely unrealistic, just <laughs> they're fighting fish demons whilst on a big wheel <laughs> and all this sort of like mayhem going on. And it, it always sort of gradually gets there in one set piece. Mm. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's a great sort of first pick, I think. Yeah. Yeah. What's uh, what's your first pick? Well, mine is uh, a sequence which actually ends a film. Um, okay. But I think it's I think it's a, a scene I always come back to, and I wish the the genre that it's in would do more often, and that is the the final fight in the very first Sam Raimi uh, Spider Man film. Yeah. With um, Green Goblin and uh, Spider Man. Yeah. I think, and I'm mainly talking about. Uh, well, I guess I'm talking about like I guess two sort of sequences, which is kind of the the cable car hanging on the bridge, going into the the abandoned sort of I guess mansion sort of thing, uh, where where they almost kill each other about ten times over. Um, <laughs> uh, that yeah, I just whenever I I love a lot of um, uh, the superhero genre and a lot of its you know final third act fights where there's an army of you know you know, nameless soldiers that a team of people are beating up. And it's mm-hmm. usually quite good. Um, but I, I, I always find myself a bit more attracted to um, the way that Sam Raimi would end his, uh, his these first three films, at least, especially the first one. Yeah. They get, obviously, they get bigger as they go along, but the this first one has that kind of thing where the threat isn't really, like, whose powers are better than the other ones. They're not really... Um, you know, an amount of enemies over overwhelming the single hero sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's literally just this sort of tension built from a, a conflict between he's trying to hold this cable car up and Mary Jane and can't yeah. use either of his arms whilst a, a guy on a big sword <laughs> tries to go and kill him. Um, and I just think it's just a, just a simple idea in which there's not even a, a, a single punch thrown for the first half of this final sort of sequence. Mm-hmm. And it, it works so well. And I think when you go into that actual fight where it's just them two, um, first of all, I just love the idea that, and I think it's always my favourite sort of third act battle in a superhero film, is uh, you have to have the superhero's costume sort of like be torn to shreds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think if you're not doing that, then why are you even nicking the film? Like, why? <laughs> it needs to be like banged and bruised and there's got to be like a part of the mask miss- missing and all that. If you're not doing that, you're missing the point. Um why are you even making a superhero film? Yeah, it's the best part, really. Um, and I just love the... I think I love the silence of it. I love the... They get into that warehouse, that mansion, and there's no music, really, for most, most of it. Um, there's a lot of great camera work in the sense that the camera sometimes gets into like actual like point-of-view shots of you getting punched <laughs> by the Green Goblin. Mm. Um, and it's just like a... It's just a great rhythm to it. And it's just build up to every punch and I love that Sam Raimi like really 
uh, hangs on to the sort of reaction shot where if he gets punched, we like get an actual slow motion of him like in pain afterwards. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I just think it's it's brutal, but not too far. Um, it fits that movie, and it's weird sort of torn between comedy and horror and all that. Um, and yeah, I think I just whenever I think about what I want or what I personally would make for a, a finale to a superhero film, I do think I would concentrate a bit more on what that first film does, which is trying to save a lot a lot of people or one person in a very terrible and tense situation. And if we have to go into an actual fight, it's got to be this sort of scrappy. <laughs> um, yeah. I love it so much. And I, yeah, I mean, what do you kind of agree that like this ending is uh, particularly like almost shocking, I would say. Um, yeah, it is. It's it's a really quite brutal sequence to end the film with. For that kind of film to end with such a, because it is quite it's quite an aggressive final fight, mm. and I do really agree with you that while I enjoy a good superhero battle, I think some of the best kind of superhero film endings are just like one on one fights. Yeah, like you say, where costumes get battered and destroyed and. Basically, just tearing each other limb from limb, kind of thing, mm. and where the because it's kind of one of the rawest ways to show a character struggling. Yeah, mm. and that final battle to kind of overcome, and that is absolutely one of the kind of one of the best examples of it in that film. Yeah, I also remember just how well you know. I think a lot of modern superhero films, wherever you look, and again, I absolutely love <coughs> them. But they are a bit open to criticisms in regards to like editing, especially in action sequences. Mm-hmm. But for me, that one is... It's one of the examples of it's so well edited that you just don't notice the editing. Yeah, yeah. I think I one of the, one of the very first like one of these YouTube dissection videos I ever watched was about how, how well um, composed that final battle is, particularly mm. the sequence with the glider. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's sort of like something to do like breaking the line, something like that. Yeah. And the the movement when the glide like hits Norman, mm. and just the just the just the seemingly random like oh reaction <laughs> shot of him yeah. is just perfect. Yeah, I think that's um, what makes Sam Raimi so great. Is that he's just like a, a master of so many elements of film, but at mm. the same time he has the personality to that before the actual, I guess, uh, uh, dramatic ending to a scene. He'll just put in Norman Osborn going, oh, <laughs> yeah. that somehow is one of the funniest things still to this day, but doesn't ruin the scene. It's so weird to me that it's a joke that, that doesn't deflate any of the tension in that scene somehow. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's um, good. It, I, I'm always torn between whether I, in terms of kind of the perfect Raimi action sequences, whether I like that, whether I prefer that one, or the tentacles in... Or the the the, uh, the arms murdering the surgery mm. team yeah. in Spider Man Two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> both I, them, both them are that got similar level of kind of horror. Yeah, they have the similar sort of sense of. I feel like Sam Raimi out of just out of his horror roots, he's got mm-hmm. to at some point view these powers in a sort of a uh, a slightly darker way than most films in that genre do. Um, yeah, I do think the technical arms are in the hospital sequence. That is a bit. That is definitely more horror, I would say. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, there's more yeah. silhouettes, there's more screaming people and horrible deaths that don't get shown on the camera. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I think, yeah. I think as well, like you're saying, with editing, I think, whilst I definitely prefer it and enjoyed it more, 
Um, I, I when I think back to the when I think football going forward to the the Norway home final fight uh, with Green Goblin, um, I think it's going for the same thing. I think it works, but I, I do think it, it's missing uh, just the way that this this first scene is handled, just in execution. I think because um, mm. when I when I think back to the Norway home final fight, it has that greatness and that realism and that sort of torn up costume thing which makes me like it instantly anyway so it's fine but I, I, when I think to the editing and the actual hits and the sort of the way that those are communicated it's done you know competently but I think Sam Reeves has just a way of getting inside the action when it comes to the way he mm. shot that first sequence um, like I say like there are literally such shots that are like a point of view of getting kneed in the face <laughs> um, by Green Goblin um and like it's it just works so well. And like I keep on saying, like the slow motion is really used well because he like he can extend out this moment of pain, and then ratchet that up for the actual the next impact, which makes it so much more. I don't know you you can feel it more. I feel I think. Um, mm. And yeah, I just I always come back to that final sequence. And as well, when you get a sequence like that, you get to uh, cut out the music, uh, have a bit more of the sound design come to play, mm, and then yeah. when the scene kind of. 180s and the hero starts to win you get that great superhero thing where the, the music rises and the hero finally becomes yeah. like more powerful than the villain and it always works <laughs> well, no yeah. matter what that always works and I feel like there's a particular moment in that film where uh, when that happens in that sequence that and it just it totally works because you have again that that torn, torn away mask and it's I, I think somehow they even got a way of like having him bleed like <laughs> like yeah. from his nose like all over his mouth with like that the mask torn away like it looks so good and so like I don't know like really brutal <laughs> mm. and I can only imagine like watching that in a cinema in 2002 as, as a kid or as a parent with your kid and being like oh shit I don't know how to <laughs> <laughs> I, do I cover my children's eyes I don't know because like how far will this go mm. um, it has well, that sort I, of vibe yeah, I think one of the things as well, talking about like that, that way of tearing the uniform, mm. or or, or the, the outfit, it's kind of a way to, it's a way to to not replace but combat the fact that you can't necessarily show as much blood or gore as you want. Mm. Like it's like you can, with the tearing away of like a, an outfit or material, it's that like you can show like as if as if they're cutting the skin off or whatever, just yeah. without actually cutting the skin off. Mm. It's, uh, yeah, it has it's, that. It's, and scenes like that use it really cleverly. Like I, I just, I can picture it so clearly, just like the <laughs> half half of Toby Maguire's mask gone. Mm. It's, it's just. It yeah. just looks. Yeah, I yeah, and I think, I well yeah, I think the the kind of go for it in the Tom Holland ones, and they. Uh, do they? Go, yeah, yeah, they do go for it in the Amazing Spider-Man, but they never. I don't know. I want to see is like half of his face coming out of his mask and his hair sort of mm. like <laughs> protruding out, <laughs> sort of thing. Um, yeah. I think you need, I think if you're gonna do it, you have to go really far with it. Um, and then somehow just got away with it for the first film. I don't know how, but yeah. I think yeah. actually I heard uh, some sort of like trivia sort of thing where uh, in the shots where he's getting like punched in the face and he's obviously like he's spitting out saliva. I believe that was like recolored afterwards to be. Saliva because it was previously blood and they were, oh, they were yeah and they, and like the producers I imagine were like okay this scene's fine but uh, 
we can't have him spitting out that much blood every time he gets punched in the face. <laughs> um, this is still a kid's film. Yeah. <laughs> so I think they had to, um, yeah, just recolor some of the bits there. But yeah, it's still got away with a lot and it still works ex- extremely well. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you want to move on to your next one? I can do. I'm going to change the, the, the order I've gone for slightly just so that mine kind of kind of follows on from yours. And that is... Um, that is something in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Ah, okay. Uh, we're following Raimi with Raimi. Yep. And I, 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 one of the kind of final acts I've loved, particularly in the MCU, but just generally in, in comic book films, is from the first Doctor Strange film, where Doctor Strange confronts Dormammu in what isn't really an action sequence, but it's just, it's just a clever trap. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's really refreshing how that film has that. Doesn't necessarily go straight for the big final battle, mm-hmm. and it has a more—I don't know—a more what feels like more of a game. Yeah. That that that's played out. It's more of a mental battle. Yeah. And that kind of level of of, of approach is something that I feel like that it, its sequel, Multiverse of Madness, does take on. And the fight—I feel like I could pick many action sequences from that film. Because again, the Raimi style of action is just so, so beautiful. <laughs> it's just beautiful. I think mm-hmm. that that chase through like the tunnels with Wanda, mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, I could great, watch yeah. that forever. Yeah. <laughs> but kind of the sequence that, for the purpose of what we're talking about, I'm going to choose is the music fight. Mm, yeah, because it's short. It, I think it probably could be longer. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's again building off what I said about pirates. It's just really playful and really imaginative, and it's yeah. just so innovative compared to again. I I like modern superhero films and the action they often have, but it just feels fresh. Yeah, and I just thoroughly enjoy the idea of seeing an action sequence play out, mm-hmm. and just having that sense of awe. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that you don't always necessarily get. It's no, it's no guarantee. <coughs> and I feel like this film definitely ends that with several of its sequences, but this one in particular. And yeah. it kind of plays into one thing I, I am always immensely respect about Doctor Strange and any kind of sequence that involves Wanda in any of the MCU films. And that's kind of, it sounds weird, but what they do with their hands. Yeah, yeah. I genuinely love it. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. It's, I, so, yeah. it's a genuine craft. Like there, are, there are YouTube videos dedicated to this stuff, but it's yeah. a genuine craft that they've they, they have to put the effort into, and mm. I just credit them immensely with how how good they make it look. Because mm. like when they um, when the the way they move their hands, I don't really question the fact that they're actually doing magic. It's weird, but yeah, I. The way that sometimes I think particularly uh, uh, the Scarlet Witch, whenever she like, I don't know how to do it, but like the weird like sort of like straining her fingers sort of thing. Yeah. Like it, it just sort of like I'm like yeah, that's how magic works, right? <laughs> like just it looks right. I don't know how to put it, but yeah, it's sort of, like mm. a weird sort of talent to have that. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like maintaining the tension in the fingers while they do it. Like yeah, I, I always yeah. think that probably the best examples of it is like you say when Wanda's like twitching her fingers. But also when Doctor Strange like, opens the time stone. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I believe he's pulling something like like a rope. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I just feel like for an action sequence that isn't necessarily about two people punching or about choreography, it just moves so well as that music fight. Mm-hmm. And again, the way kind of yeah. actual music is blended in, and it's just such a surprise in that film, and it's just such a pleasant one. Um, yeah. And I just love talking about this film. If anyone can't <laughs> tell, I love it so much. <laughs> Yeah, um, but that's kind yeah. of my second pick, uh, flying with the Raimi, Raimi style. Yeah, I, well, because I think with that sequence, like you were saying before, like the the Pirates of the Caribbean thing, it, it has that sort of a mix of tones where it's it's that scene just by itself before the action starts is quite uh, daunting and a bit mm. on edge and a bit kind kind of the, the kind of the, the beginning of the darkness of that film really because uh, you're meeting this sort of decrepit sort of depressed there Doctor Strange um, and then he has that kind of that really great line that I think is perfectly sums up that film um, where he says uh, they've had that dream where you fall from a really tall building and the camera is like a really push and he goes that's probably me <laughs> and I just think that's just a, a great like not cheesy but quite like a, a dramatic like evil line to say and then it yeah. leads into this comic book colourful imaginative music fight uh, and like you said I do think as well it could have lasted longer because I think I think once you got a hint of where this could be going where like I think he puts his hand on a piano and it starts like these notes coming up in the air um, yeah. as soon as that starts I think everyone in the cinema has the same reaction of like oh my god please that would be so good please <laughs> yeah. um, and then it happens it does happen and I think they, I think the ending as well is great too where having this battle between mm. these these musical notes that are coming together and forming uh and forming this big like ball of magic energy. Yeah. And then to have it end with <laughs> Doctor Strange just I think he just plays the the what do you call it? The harp this one. Yeah. The one note. And like that that one note like causes it to whole the whole thing to fracture away. Um yeah. And then also it ends again with like coming back to the horror thing, like that Doctor Strange gets thrown out of a window and lands on the big spike. <laughs> yeah. so yeah and then yeah I think maybe I'm just going a tangent now about the whole film but then going from that to you know he goes to the undead and then goes mm. like has to battle the undead there and then you know dream walk into a different universe like yeah that feels good <laughs> so good do you want to do you have a third one you want to go on to uh, yeah uh, so my third pick I think yeah um yeah, I wanted to go through, it's sort of not one sequence, it's kind of a big, almost like 20 minute sequence. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to talk about the opening sort of New York tra- traversal, <laughs> traverse, traversal there we go, um, in John Wick 3, the third, the third okay, one. Okay, yeah. Because um, the, the opening, I always think that the entire film could have just been this opening and just kind of extended around two hours or one and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but the opening act to saw of uh, John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, is <laughs> the full title. Um, Parabellum. Parabellum. <laughs> um, is, it has so much energy to it, and I think it it yeah. contains within it some like top-tier John Wick fight fights. Um, mm-hmm. And that's saying something, because I, I think even the, even the least engaging John Wick action scene is still a great action scene. Absolutely. Um, and I think the fact that that opening twenty minutes, where he's just, he's just running from 
what feels like wanting the New York to be on in New York and trying to avoid like what feels like again like a million different assassins um, <coughs> is incredible. I mean, it goes from like an amazing library fight um, with this like huge like seven foot guy, and he kills him with a book. <laughs> um, it goes from that to I think it goes like I think it goes to the, the place of the horses. And he, he uses, I think he uses horse foo, foo which is like, <laughs> you slap a horse and he kicks, kicks your enemy. Um, mm-hmm. And he rides a horse, I think, and then he's avoiding uh, people on motorbikes uh, on a horse. Uh, he gets off the saddle and then shoots someone <laughs> off the saddle. Um, I think then, yeah, then he goes into what I think is one of the greatest, like, just ideas ever, which is John Wick trapped inside of a, a knife museum, I guess it is. Um <laughs> Because he just gets into this building, and he, you know, at first he goes past a gun, and he goes, "Okay, I think I, I can assemble a gun, and make a single bullet, so, uh, <laughs> a single uh, bullet, and then shoot one guy with it, and then move on." And he does that, and it's great. <laughs> uh, it's like it's like two minutes worth of him making a gun, and then one second of him killing one guy, um, and it's so funny and works so well. And then yeah, like he just goes into a knife museum, I guess, and it's just a perfect idea, and it's. I think it's perfectly uh, it's perfectly John Wick because it's both unique. Uh, it's shot in that classic sort of John Wick way where you just you pull back and you let the, you sort of let the action happen, um, and he just you oh, kill so many people um, with knives and axes at one point. Yeah, oh, it's so good, and yeah, I mean, I think the entirety of that film is pretty great, but I think that opening is maybe the pinnacle so far of that franchise for me. Mm-hmm. Um, for what it's going for with, with its accent, I just think it's it's beautifully constructed. Like the way it rises in terms of locations and amount of people there and amount of just weird John Wick esque deaths that he creates. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. Do you do you agree about this one? <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's one of those. It's another case of. You know, going from the first film where it's fairly simple in a man going after revenge if someone kills his dog mm. to absolute carnage come the third one. <laughs> and this really just really consuming world that's just so addictive that you that you just don't want to leave it. Um and it's that I agree. That opening sequence, number three, is perhaps one of the best examples of John Wick at its very best. And this is this mm. is a series of films that, let's be honest, has a pretty high standard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, the benchmark's pretty pretty high as it is. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I'm always torn whether two or three is my favorite. I think three is my favorite of the films. Mm-hmm. Um, I've kind of got on my list for today like an honourable mention is just anything in a John Wick film <laughs> that's what I've written yeah. down completely um, fair and I think it, yeah the particularly just the sequences on the bridge mm. <laughs> like yeah. you said when you mentioned like the horses and the bikes <laughs> and it just it never feels too much I think that's the great miracle of it yeah. It always just flows so nicely, and it is just a constant. Particularly at the start, it's a constant. It's a constant sequence, and it's mm. just. It's difficult just to not sit back in your seat and just sat there, sort of open mouthed, yeah. <laughs> in awe of of how you manage to choreograph just so much in one film. It's not a short mm. film either. It's not like you've got 
just a few sequences to choreograph and sort yeah. of film. It's a long, it's a long beast, <laughs> and one of the kind of the miracles of it is how short it feels. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of weird that it, it never, at least never in a major way, it feels excessive. Um, yeah. It's like the fact that we get to the point where you're like an hour and a sort into the film, and you've just escaped Casablanca, I think, with um, Halle Berry, and yeah. then. You've <laughs> you've walked across the desert and then came out of the desert and then you're back in New York and you're already in, immediately back into, I mean, literally a scene where you're on a bridge on a motorbike with uh, Katano-wielding enemies um, that you have to fight and then get back to a hotel. And if you get onto the hotel, a war starts, essentially. <laughs> mm. um, it's like it's, a video game, almost. It is, it is. It's, it's all, it's borderline like that sort of kind of that annoying... Um, trope with some sort of like action films where it's kind of like a, a fetch quest almost um, yeah. and it's it, it's borderline that but it never feels like that because I think it's the in between and the actual uh, doing the fetch thing is so creative um, mm. and so just like there's never there's very rarely two action scenes in John Wick that feel the exact same um, which is sort of a miracle because there's so many there's so many in that the franchise, mm. um, and I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't. It's weird because sometimes with sequels, you get a bit worried about them and whether they're going to hold up or be better than the the last one. But with John Wick, mm-hmm. the new one coming out, the fourth one, even if the trailer didn't look particularly great, I'd still be like, yeah, this is going to be at the bare minimum very good, <laughs> um, yeah. and do exactly what John Wick is going to do, which is just provide just amazing sequences that only they can do the way that they do them. Mm. Um, yeah, and I, yeah. So I just think, I just think the reason I chose that particular uh, opening to the third film was just because I feel like it just condenses the greatness of the entire trilogy so far into just one mm-hmm. twenty-minute or so like sequence, um, yeah. where like the stakes are so clear, the area is so clear, the, the, the choreography is so clearly shown, and the creativity of just weapons, I guess, is at the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only thing I can say negative negative about John Wick really is when I. I don't love it when he has like an actual arsenal of weapons, like that he has on his persons. Like, I I prefer John Wick when he has a book, you know, <laughs> or a horse. Yeah. Yeah, like the improvisation like, and like the yeah. I don't love it when he's got um, he's been given like a a semi or automatic whatever, <laughs> and he's doing a mission. Like it's cool and it's definitely very well organized and made clear. But you know, you get you get John Wick in a, a single gun in a. In like a fortress, that's when it's you know at its best, <laughs> um, or a knife museum. Which, by the way, a knife museum. Like whoever had that idea of let's put John Wick in a knife museum, <laughs> just just deserves a lot of acclaim <laughs> and awards. <Yeah. laughs> it's the perfect place to put him. Yeah. So yeah, that's my number two pick of this mm. uh, this list. I guess not even real. This is just an opinion thing. But yeah. Um, do you have yeah. the, the other one? Yeah, I do have another one. Um, kind of, again, part of my outside-of-the-box <coughs> approach to this mm-hmm. has brought me to uh, a bit of a cheat. Oh, I'm not going to lie. I have to confess. I've actually gone for something from a TV series. Oh, um, okay. And that is um, Star Wars The Clone Wars. Oh. Uh, I think you probably can guess which sequence I've gone for. Um, and that's Ahsoka versus Maul. Right, okay. In like right, the Siege right. of Mandalore arc. Um, 
I think this sequence is extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, the kind of behind-the-scenes thing for it is that it's kind of motion-captured with Ray Park doing the mall bit and uh, an actress called Lauren Mary Kim doing kind of a soakers part in it. And considering kind of the fact that they never really used mocap in the series before until this point, and they suddenly used it for this, it was a big swing. It could have looked dreadful. <laughs> it could have looked really jarring. But I think this is... <coughs> You know, I think given the fact that a lot of people miss have kind of missed the animated series, one of the big examples of what exactly they've missed out on is in this action sequence. I think another good one is kind of looking at the the kind of TV series sequences people miss is the very final Obi Wan Darth Maul fight in Rebels, which yeah. is a completely different fight but no less glorious. But I think this kind of this final fight in the Clone Wars is it's almost kind of like the final ode to this series and they really do go out with a bang with it. And I think one of the most remarkable things is kind of given the attachment that's given to a lot of animated things that are for kids, this is so atmospheric. Mm, yeah. And it's so ominous for the way that it kind of ties into the, the films as well. But it's just something that definitely has left me in awe that they managed to achieve and make it look as good as it is. When I think about um, sort of like lightsaber fights in Star Wars, I do now think of this lightsaber fight as like a amongst the live action ones, if that makes sense. When I think yeah. about like, I guess, ranking them or whatever, like it comes to mind quite strongly, yeah. Yeah, it, it's genuinely so impressive, impressive at capturing like a moment as well. And it's kind mm. of. You know, Bray Park may also might not really play more again in live action, and I think this was kind of the perfect way to give him another chance to do it. In because obviously we all know what's said about the prequel trilogy and all that. Um, and it's kind of good to see how Ray Park get this chance to have more at the end of this big big arc that he gets in the Clone Wars. I think I think a lot of people do agree that. Maul's best stuff comes after his actual film appearance. Yeah. Um, and it's the perfect way to kind of kind of reach the peak of this character's story. And I just I'm just in awe every time I see this sequence. Mm. Because it's not it's it's just such an aggressive fight as well. It's kind <laughs> yeah. of prime Maul. Maul's going after her. Mm. And it's kind of Ahsoka when she's maybe at uh angstiest I suppose <laughs> yeah um, and it's just a perfectly put together sequence and it's a real it's a real triumph for the Clone Wars and if and if there's ever going to be a justification for people to kind of get into the Clone Wars series it's this arc of episodes and particularly this fight sequence I love it so much yeah I think as well that uh, that sequence I think it's sort of I don't know it's kind of a it starts out like you're saying, like kind of like a a big sort of bombastic lightsaber duel between Maul and Ahsoka, which you mm-hmm. kind of have always imagined for quite a while, and then yeah. it sort of gets more and more daunting, a bit more kind of like even though you, you weirdly do know that they're both going to survive because you know like the canon of where they go, um, mm. there is a sort of like it similar to I think what Star Wars has a weird sort of unique sort of I guess selling point to it, which is like. I get this, this weird feeling like you're discovering an actual past that happened. 
Um, yeah. Like you don't. It's not. It's not a new story. It's just you're discovering an important part of the piece of the past. And I think because so much has been made about how the mall get to where where he was by the time of rebels mm-hmm. and what happened to Ahsoka, to actually have that sort of final season where we get to see all this, and particularly get to see this duel between these characters, it it has all this going towards it, like this sort of energy going towards it, um, of like discovery and you know you know it's going to be a turning point, and it is it ends up being quite a big turning point, mm-hmm. um, and I love that. And I just love in general that that final season and that final arc that the majority of that story takes place parallel to uh, Rift of the Sith. So I I just find it yeah. so engaging to think about this this amazing sort of duel and event happening side by side with Anakin turned to the dark side. <laughs> it's sort of mm. this weird thing that, that that sequence has where it's this sort of parallel and very important but parallel to the actual main story sort of thing. Uh, where Eric is going to hell anyway, and this duel ultimately doesn't matter in a weird way. Um, yeah. Because they've already lost. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that duel is... And like you said before, the more cap, like, when that uh, duel started, I remember instantly just going, oh, wow, well, like, this is like it's like a real duel. <laughs> I don't know how to put it. Like it yeah. There was less... Um, uh, it's not been, I haven't really had a problem with any of the duels before that, but... I don't know how to put it, like the the joltiness of like the animation but yeah. when it came to the the jewels um, was not present here, and it mm. weirdly enough like worked quite well and was quite seamless. Um, so yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think it's I think there's a lot of great jewels in the in the Clone Wars, but I do think this one stands out as probably my favorite. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, and it's it's one that more people should see. See it, people! <laughs> Damn it, <laughs> see it. Yeah. Have you got another sequence to go on to? Uh, yeah. Um, so I want, yeah, I went for a bit of a range here. So I'm like, I want to go for kind of the, the biggest of the big, which is uh, the final uh, Lord of the Rings battle um, in mm. Gondor. Sort of that amazing um, the Return of the King. Uh, the so it's kind of hard to kind of um, be like, oh yeah, this part of the fight because like the sequence mm. lasts like a full hour. <laughs> So I guess I'm just talking the whole thing, I guess. Um, yeah. And I think this, I think it's just such a, an hour worth of battle can and went on to be quite exhausting <laughs> in uh, in films and in that Middle-earth sort of area with the Hobbit, kind of the final Hobbit film. Um, but it's amazing to me how much that final battle is not at all exhausting and is so engaging the entire way through. Um, and this this final battle, despite its length, is is not at all exhausting. And I think it's I think it's so clear in terms of its like it has its own like mini structure to it, its own like mini inciting incident, and its own midpoint and all that. Um, and it's sort of weird that within a three hour film telling this big story about all the characters and all these sort of plot devices and all that, that the film can also for an hour in a final end of it can kind of have its own other narrative in terms mm-hmm. of action um, I think the highlights are obviously like the big like sort of turning points where uh, the Rohans come on board to the, the fight and there's that massive mm-hmm. speech and rally <laughs> with Howard Shaw's music just shredding <laughs> um, and then <laughs> and then <laughs> you have the uh, Aragon and Legolas and Gimli kind of coming on board well getting in off the ship and then like 
that amazing sequence where they bring like a ghost army, which is like amazing. <laughs> like how how do you beat that? Um, and yeah, I think it's just, just well paced, and I love that there's these like quiet moments amongst the battle mm. where Pippin is talking to Gandalf, um, and I love that this is like these high, there's like a hierarchy of like enemies that you have to get through, and they have like the Nazgul and the uh, and that whole. I love the the shots that could like have Gandalf against the Nazgul, even though they don't actually have a mm-hmm. battle. Like like seeing the Nazgul like get his flame short sword, and then Gandalf trying to battle him with a big magic stick that gets broken, and like it's just this great like Lord of the Rings imagery that only that series can do. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's like a. I think what strikes me about the most and makes me think about it a lot is, it's this sort of yeah like this weird three-act structure narrative inside of a three-hour movie. Um, and it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just a, it's just well put together, um, great, well shot. It's kind of this weird mix of weird, like, not weird, but, like, sweeping uh, shots that establish the terrain and geography and where Gondor is and where Mordor is and all this and, like, where each important member is. But it also, it does that, but also gets amongst the action as well. Um, mm-hmm. and has a lot of shaky, shaky, shaky cam but not too much and all that sort of thing um, and yeah I just think it it just works incredibly well um, and somehow never feels like we're just watching nothing happen like that sometimes battles can feel that way sometimes um, and I think so, uh, at this point of comparison when I think to um, the Battle of the Five Armies I think what it Gains in kind of style in terms of just like pure elves killing ten enemies of, with one sword sort of thing. As as cool as it might be, once you're watching that for the tenth time, um, with about ten CGI orcs on a green screen, it's just tiring and a lot of noise. <laughs> that means nothing. Um, so yeah, I think it could easily become that. And uh, yeah, I just think it's a. I think alongside, you know, a lot of action sequences in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, it's sort of a staple of, like, what you can do with that format. Um, and, yeah, I always come back to it, and I always think it's just perfect. I, I think every big sweeping, uh, like, everyone, everyone your hero, as well as everyone in the villains sort of sort of fight, so take mm-hmm. notes from this. And I think they, I think they do. I think they clearly do. Um, and I think that's totally fair, because... It just sort of perfected the formula of a big battle. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, yeah, I totally love this, and I I wish there was more big battles out of this good. <laughs> it's kind of the pinnacle of what everyone's aiming for, mm. um, and if I'm, I'm honest, it's kind of unfair to everyone else. Mm. It's as good as it is, <laughs> and it's certainly one of those things where I will confess I was late to the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and a lot of things are and things where you kind of you hear how good it is and how good how much people rate it, and you actually sit down to watch it and you think surely it's not actually that good. Mm. And I think sort of midway through that final battle, obviously you realise it before, but midway through that final battle is the moment you know for sure where it's like yeah, <laughs> yeah this is if anything people played it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's it's what everyone aims for, and it's just it's grand. It has everything, and it's just so perfectly balanced. I think mm. that's something that you can't really underestimate. There are examples 
there are plenty of examples, and I've talked about Phantom Menace a lot as one of these examples, where final acts and these big battles can often just feel so so unbalanced in the order and the pacing and considering how much exactly is going on in that film and how much is at stake and given also the fact there is that element of expectation on it because everything that came before and all the other excellent sequences (coughs) that came before it that Mm. it's just a miracle that it handles it I can't believe it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just it's just a magnificent example mm. and one of the things that I'd actually want to ask you is have you seen the TV series oh um, yeah I um, I got about uh, I think four or five episodes into it and then I mm-hmm. just sort of lost steam and kind of I don't know I just I didn't get really hooked into it um, I kind of just thought it was pretty good sometimes pretty great yeah. and then most time kind of just okay um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I just did. You, have you been watching it or? I haven't. I haven't had the chance to watch it. I mm. don't have Amazon Prime at the moment. It's yeah. It's it it, it, it it's it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just wonder. I was wonder what you think of it. I knew I knew you liked the, well, liked might be an understatement. But I knew you were a fan of the films. So I just wondered. I wanted the opinion mm. because I've seen a lot of strange things said about it. Yeah, there's definitely. And, a bit too much said about it. That's just wrong, really. Um, yeah. But it's it's yeah. It's a bit. I don't know. I guess when you think about it being the most expensive TV show of all time, it's just weird that it's yeah. just sort of like an an okay TV show, really. I, I yeah. I, again, haven't seen it, but I think it's kind of suffered from the fact of um, coming out at the same time as House of the Dragon. <laughs> that Definitely, makes sense. Yeah. I feel like it. Yeah. I feel like if uh, House Dragon was less good, it might have stood the chance. But yeah. House Dragon came out, and it's quite oh well. Like everyone kind of agrees that it's kind of mm. a return to form. And then to have this other show that takes a while to get going, and also isn't that great when it does get going, um, is yeah, it isn't wasn't the best first season. If it's all going to make some more, yeah, I think this is my favorite sort of big battle. Um, in a film, really. Yeah. Um, I don't think I could top that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in terms of big battles, I agree with you. I'm not yeah. challenging you. There's sort of there's been definitely been no great challenge. ones since then. Yeah. There's been great yeah. ones since then. Oh yeah. And I think, I, but I definitely, whenever I'm watching it, a great big battle, I do always think mm. they've definitely rewatched and taken notes from Return of the King before doing this <laughs> sequence because. It's just a great formula, I guess, for success with a big battle. <laughs> Do you have any more? I have like a list of honourable mentions. Um, yeah, I have. I think I have one kind of main one. Um, go on then. You uh, go for that. Um, I was gonna. I mentioned the the. Cause I feel like we don't talk about this franchise enough, really. Because um, I want to mm-hmm. just mention Indiana Jones, and I think. Oh the, yeah. The, the yeah. I think I was going to pick the the third one. Um, and the third film has what I think is the the height of its sort of... I think generally the third film is my favourite anyway, but I think the, the, it has the action sort of highlight for me, which is the the Indiana Jones on a horse versus a tank <laughs> sequence, which is yeah. just, like, a perfect idea. Again, sort of similar to John Wick inside of a knife museum. Um, the idea of Indiana Jones with only a horse and a gun versus the entire <laughs> tank is genius. And I think... Mm-hmm. It is what Indiana Jones does best and what a lot of great action does best, which is 
having your character just really against it, like really like almost dying at every second. Because <laughs> um, I think any I think any great sort of tension filled action sequence would be going for. Um, there's definitely a lot of joy from watching a very cool protagonist slickly like slickly get through a, a bunch of enemies. Um, mm-hmm. But there's for me there's always been a bit more edge and joy to uh, seeing a hero just barely get through it <laughs> and Indiana Jones and particularly this sequence has that in spades and I think uh, I think it's also just an incredibly smart sequence I think in terms of where it puts every character and how clearly it places each character and the sort of ways that Indiana Jones beats the tank via just sort of being a bit clever just like putting a <laughs> rock inside of the, the turret and putting a and making the, the uh, I think they like, at some point ram into a car which blocks the actual tank sort of missiles for a little while yeah. and the way you sort of like the fact that you go from chasing the tank to on top of the tank to getting them off the tank to you know this whole battle where he's fighting like three different Nazis on top of the tank and getting inside yeah. the tank like there's so many different elements to it of like it's not just about a guy and a horse and a, 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 a tank but it's so many different sort of sub sort of battles in that big battle overall um, and it ends with that great like fake out death where Indiana Jones apparently dies and then comes back and it's just that great shot where they're all looking over the edge and then Indiana Jones with barely a shirt on <laughs> just sort of walks on and goes like joins him and looking over like wondering what they're looking at when they're looking at his apparently dead body um, yeah mm-hmm. I think that's just like for me that's just a highlight of a great franchise in action and I feel like yeah I think I just realised that we haven't talked about that much about Indiana Jones so I thought I'd mention him yeah absolutely I think Again, it's partly that that just generally the character in Indiana Jones kind of <coughs> definitely has that effect of by the end of it he's wearing half his clothes. Yeah, he's a superhero. I think Temple of Doom is probably the bigger example, but yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, Temple of Doom is the most like broken Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, I agree. Like, there's immense satisfaction from seeing a guy who isn't like a slick fighter mm-hmm. and who only yeah. just gets through the scrapes. And I think, based on what you said, I think the best way, the best way I have of describing it is, and I mean this as the sincerest compliment and the highest praise. It's a bit like watching your dad in an action sequence. <laughs> I know, yeah, I know what you mean. There's like, there's nothing, like when you, when Indiana Jones or Harrison Ford, I guess, punches someone. There's nothing like graceful about it, really. Is there? Yeah. It's just sort of mm. like. Even like it's iconic in its way that it's like presented because like even the sound effect is so like not realistic but perfect for the way that he punches. Like yeah. <laughs> there's something really comical about it, um, yeah. and the way that he'll take a punch by like I think I think the best version of that is when he gets hit in the first film by like the the big the big guy uh, mm-hmm. around the plane and he so he gets put in the face and I think his knees wobble and he falls yeah. to the ground yeah. and I think it's just a perfect reaction. Uh, yeah, this a perfect sort of not quite put together hero. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and it just yeah, there is just something about Indiana Jones action sequences, um, particularly particularly in the kind of that first one and the third one for me. And you know, part of it is like the the, <coughs> the fact that Spielberg is just so accomplished when it comes to this kind of sequence. Mm. Um, and it yeah, the tank is it. I suppose when you kind of look at popular action sequences, a lot of people go straight for 
like the fight with the mechanic in the first one. Yeah. yeah. But for me, for me, it is the tank. I don't. Mm-hmm. Ah, just it's just such an accomplished sequence. Yeah. Like it, like it, all of all the bits you described, it's just so. It's against the odds, David versus Goliath. Yeah. He yeah. shouldn't be doing this. Yet he's kind of you know it, it sounds a bit misleading to say he bumbles through it, but like <laughs> he he earns it. <laughs> Yeah, he owns it. He's he's smart enough. Yeah, it's not like he does it by accident. It's like he genuinely, he pluckily fights for it. But yeah, he's like, he's smart enough, and he's like, tactical enough, and he's brave enough. Like I think that's what's great about him is like he's just barely enough to make it through the whole thing. Um, Mm. And also tonally, I feel like a lot of big battles or uh, hand to hand, whatever it might be. Obviously, it taunts, uh, the film decides to taunt, so therefore it's kind of like a follow mm. where the film starts guiding you. But I think with that sequence, where it's a man versus a tank, and the odds can seem so <laughs> outrageous that it can be a bit like, this is just really dark, because you're just, you're just watching a man about to die by a tank. Um, <laughs> but the fact that the taunt is still kept afloat by all... I, I, think, I think one of my favourite jokes in that entire series is when he shoots that one bullet from his gun and kills three Nazis that were, like, standing next to each other. Yes, yeah. And I think that's yeah. just a great moment that explains some sort of the humour and sort of the the kind of the weird tone that, that those films have, um, mm-hmm. where it's so, like, end of the world and actual, like, literal Nazis and all this sort of, like, like demons from the from the Neville Balls and whatever, but it has this sort of weird sort of uh, playfulness to it, even in, like, yeah. the worst situation possible. Um mm. So I yeah, feel like we like, should yeah, do a specific it's... Indiana Jones episode at some point. Maybe we should. Yeah, probably should do that, yeah. We've got the fifth one coming. Yeah, yeah. I feel like... I feel like I still even have nice things to say about the fourth one. Like, I know people hate the fourth one, but I feel mm. like the fourth one's just an okay film. And even then, I, st- I struggle to say it's bad. Like, I'm just... I just like the the tone of it, I guess, more than anything else. Um, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, Indiana Jones is just a great franchise, and I think it's kind of when we talk about the greatness of, for example, that Pirates of the Caribbean fight and by extension the entire series, I feel like Indiana Jones is kind of the the perfect sort of the origin of that sort of tone in blockbusters. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess that's yeah, that's my kind of a final one for this one. Yeah, that's a great final pick. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Do you want to go go for your like honorable mentions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I had quite a few for various reasons. A lot of them are. Kind of the reasons I have behind them are a bit similar to what I've already talked about. Mm. But honourable mention, kind of hot fuzz, the action sequence in that at the <laughs> yeah, end. I love that so much. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got the Untouchables. I don't know if you've seen the Untouchables. Oh, yeah. yeah. The ending uh, sequence to that. Like I said, anything in the John Wick film. The ending yeah. to Django Unchained. Oh, uh, As yeah. far as shootouts go. Can't get better top shootouts. <laughs> um, there's, there's another western series called Godless like a TV series that has an excellent shootout in the final episode mm-hmm. um, Wind River mm-hmm. oh, uh, yeah. if we're talking Tarantino Once Upon a Time in Hollywood the final sequence <laughs> yeah um, I also mentioned if we're talking comic book films the warehouse fight in Batman vs Superman yeah yeah. it's uh, it's, 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 the... it's, it's, it's one worth talking about or mentioning mm. yeah. it's the most Arkham combat Batman ever got on films. <laughs> yeah, I think that that sums up Snyder Batman. <laughs> Even yeah. to the fact that the fight finishes with Batman firing 
uh, a heavy machine gun one-handed into a guy with a with a flamethrower. Yeah, that's just exactly what he would do. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done, Zack Snyder. But that's kind of yeah, that's kind of my 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 final sort of honourable mentions. Yeah, I feel like that's. Uh, I, I tried to go very quite... Yeah, I feel like we've gone through quite a few here, like big battles and small things and superheroes mm-hmm. and whatever. Uh, John Wick. Yeah. <laughs> Although you could argue I mean, John Wick's yeah. kind of an, his own superhero. <laughs> yeah. If we're talking final battles, I feel like I also should mention the final battle in the first Avengers film and in Endgame. Got to get mm-hmm. them in there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's just that's me. Was, yeah, that's why it's kind of in my head whenever I imagine a big battle that takes uh, uh, follow suit from. Lord of the Rings, my mind does kind of go towards Endgame quite a bit, yeah. Yeah. Sort of that. It, and it does it very well. Um, so yeah, I think that's us all done for this one. Um, but like I said at the beginning, if you want to let us know your kind of opinions and your own picks, let us know. Uh, whatever way you can, we'll try to get back to you as soon as possible. Um, also, yeah, once again, we have an Instagram account at Marvelous Sunday Podcast. Uh, yeah, podcast every uh, Wednesday, yeah, Wednesday. And other than that we have like reviews and different sort of rankings of films um yeah so i think that's it for this week um yeah i hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you very soon next week probably